0: For a few of you here this morning, I know it has been a hot minute since you have been in high school English. I'm, I'm not going to name any names, um, but I want to provide a just a brief review of some literature with you. For one, the issue of a protagonist is one who is the main character through whom the theme of a literary work is revealed and the antagonist is that which or that whom causes the protagonist conflict. Um, Examining Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter, many people think that Hester Prynne is the protagonist and the Puritan community is the antagonist. If you've read that novel, you know that Hester had been in an adulterous relationship, but she would not name the man by whom she was carrying child. And the man by whom she was carrying child was Arthur Dimmesdale, who was the town's own beloved young minister. And so Hester had to put upon her garments the letter A, standing for adulterer. Some might suggest then that the book's theme is how we ought not be judgmental or perhaps it's the ills of the hypocrisy of a religious community. But such a view seems incorrect to me because Hester's conflict with that Boston community finds resolution midway through the novel. But there's a character whose conflict doesn't find resolution until the end of that novel. And his name is Arthur Dimsdale. and he is the one who I believe is the protagonist. Um, what drives Dimsdale's conflict, I could discuss several things, but the chief problem is how he buys into the notion that God is strictly a God of law and judgment. And he does not rightly comprehend God's merciful and gracious nature. At one point, he says to Hester, the judgment of God is on me. It is too mighty for me to struggle with. How easy is it for us to get caught up in this mindset that I think Hawthorne is criticizing? It is a mindset that tries to deal with our guilt as if we must somehow earn salvation for ourselves. Pastor Tim Keller once pointed out that revivals and renewals prove necessary because we do not ordinarily live our lives as if the gospel is true. Because of that, I think we can too easily become like Dimmesdale, overwhelmed by insecurity, anxiety, maybe even a feeling of self-hatred whenever we fail to measure up to some established moral code. When I teach the Scarlet Letter, I thus stress the importance of embracing the nature of our gracious God. And that is precisely the lesson that Jesus highlights for us in the parable of the unforgiving servant, found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. As we continue in our series, 66 books, 66 messages, this is where we land today in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. This is the word of our God. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses." Peter's question frames the topic of this parable when he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And you probably have heard or may know that seven in Hebrew represented perfection. It represented completion. And so Jesus' answer proves all the more shocking. Not seven times, 70 times seven. And so he proceeds to tell this story about a man who owed a king what amounted to 120 years of earnings from his labor. It is a debt he could never hope to repay. The connection to our lives here is that we owe an eternal king a debt we could never hope to repay. Paul clearly explains in the first half of Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Consequently, the servant of the parable begs the king to show him mercy, a plea that the king hears and that the king shows. Due to the king's gracious nature, he freely offers to forgive the servant of his monumental debt. Only the unforgiving servant fails to actually embrace the gospel message. Notice what the unforgiving servant does right after the king says he takes pity upon him, right after the king says he would cancel his debt. He runs into the street. He finds another servant who owes him what amounts to only one week's wages and insists that the other individual repay him immediately. I ask you, why do you think the unforgiving servant would do that? I believe it was because he did not really believe that the king could actually ever forgive him his debt. I believe he thought he would still need to repay something later. That he still needed to be working for a payoff. Jesus shows the unforgiving servant then to be as dim as Arthur Dimmesdale. He sees the king as one whose judgment is too much for him to bear, rather than as a king who delights in mercy and who stands ready to lavish grace upon us. We must not remain dim. Satan wants to keep you trapped into thinking that God is strictly a God of judgment, as a God who is solely to be feared. The evil one wants to deceive you into believing that you must somehow earn salvation for yourself. And I suggest if you buy into this lie, insecurity, anxiety, and perhaps even self-hatred will overwhelm you. Fortunately, Arthur Dimmesdale discovers the true nature of God at the end of the novel. The minister finally calls on God as the one who is merciful and as the one who gives him grace. And that's when the conflict in Arthur Dimmesdale comes to a close. It only comes to a close when he properly views the nature of God Do not let Satan dim your eyes any longer. Let your conflicts come to an end. While the wages of our sin is death, Paul concludes in the second half of Romans 6, verse 23, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe that you could never do anything to earn your forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus Christ paid it all through his shed blood at Calvary? Once you receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ provides, once you begin to understand the gracious nature of God, Yes, the primary cause of your conflict comes to a close. The power of sin and death no longer holds sway over you. But this freedom from your primary conflict will serve as the means to dealing with all other conflicts. Not only does trusting in Christ as the object of your salvation free you from a from living a false life, from living a lie of insecurity, anxiety, and perhaps even self-hatred. It will also free you to live a life of kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and love in relation to one another. I appreciate how Pastor Keller puts it once more. The gospel is not about something we do, but about what has been done for us. And yet the gospel results in a whole new life. If we do not believe that God has freely forgiven us of the inconceivable debt through the atoning work of his son, then we will never be able to forgive our brothers and sisters from the heart. Instead, we will run into the streets and we will demand payment from them. We will harbor bitterness and animosity in our hearts. But if we truly receive the pardon that Christ freely offers to us, that's when we learn to forgive, just as we have been forgiven. I could not communicate this better than Corey Ten Boom. These are her words. It was 1947. And I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him working his way forward through the crowd. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with this skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see again my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been the guard at Ravensbrück consecration camp where we were sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember or recognize me. But since that time, he went on, I became a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from you too. Fraulein, his hand extended to me, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not Bessie had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it, and I knew it. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of one's heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, I forgive you. Corey Ten Boom concludes: For a long moment, we grasp each other's hands—the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Forgiving others who have wronged us extends from understanding how much we have been forgiven. Unless you know the gospel, and unless you receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has lavished upon you, you're not going to forgive. That's the message that Jesus is sharing. Realizing that others owe us a debt of 100 denarii, but we owed God a debt of 10,000 talents. Forgive the server who gets your order wrong. Forgive the former close friend who posted those nasty words about you on Facebook. Forgive the couple who sold you a house and honestly did not disclose some things. Forgive your ex-husband or your ex-wife who hurt you so. Forgive your pastor. Forgive me for getting some things wrong and I will get things wrong again. Can we even forgive the pagan tribesmen who murders our missionary husband elizabeth elliot did can we even forgive the hostile hindus who barricaded our missionary husband and two young sons in a vehicle and burned them alive gladys staines did The Lord's prayer goes like this, forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us. What conflict do you need to resolve today? The Lord's supper is first and foremost, a reminder of God's gracious nature and the complete forgiveness that comes through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. In this way, it is a means of grace for us to receive. But the Lord's Supper is also a reminder that we need to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. In this way, it's a message of grace for us to give. So as we come to the table of our Lord today, I must advise that you do not partake of the elements if you have yet to publicly declare your faith in Christ Jesus and the forgiveness that he alone provides for your sin. But I also would be remiss if I did not say, do not partake of these elements If you have yet to forgive in your heart, even those who have sinned against you. Forgive, even as you have been forgiven. Pray with me. Lord, today we come and gather around your table. We come to receive the elements as a reminder of how much our sin has been forgiven, what it cost, what it took, that you, Father, would turn away from your only begotten Son because you could not bear to look upon the sin that he bore my sin, our sin, that we would receive this gracious and merciful gift. And then knowing how much you have forgiven us, would you free us today from any bitterness or animosity that we feel towards someone else? I know it's not always easy but we can lift our hands we can do that and we can say I forgive you brother I forgive you sister and so today as we come to celebrate as a family around this table Remind us of these things, we pray Jesus in your name, amen.